Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney of The Haney Company, and I am thrilled to welcome a new-to-podcasting guest, uh, Jim Zaniello with Vetted Solutions. Welcome, Jim. Thank you for having me. No, I was thrilled to have you because um, especially what we'll, we'll dive into, I think, is going to be such a fascinating conversation uh, and your perspective on just talent management, what it's like to hire people. And I mean, just, you know, that's something that's uniform across a ton of industries and certainly in this marketplace extremely uh, interesting to talk about. But before we get into anything technical, let's have a little fun. Let's get to know you a little bit. So what food will you absolutely not eat under any circumstance? I have not been able to bring myself to drink kombucha tea. Interesting. Okay. is a little out there for me. Okay. <laughs> I, that's, that is, that is certainly a new one. So I like that. Okay. Give me a pizza with every topping on it. I'll eat that every day, but awesome. kombucha tea, not so sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could play any sport in the world, any sport, you're, you become the premier athlete in that sport. What sport would you want to play? That's easy. That's tennis. Okay. Not very good at it, but I do love it. Love it. What, <laughs> what about what's, what, about the competitive component of tennis excites you the most? It's not even the competitive component. It's just a fun game. It's a yeah. fun way to exercise. You can play fast. You can play doubles. There's just so much to it. And it's not easy, but it's enjoyable. Yeah. And it's also not really age-limiting as exactly. other sports can be. Yeah, I'll be able to play that for my entire life. Yeah, I, I know somebody that I work with that would agree with you on that one. So, <laughs> yes. um, would you rather live underwater or in outer space? So, that's a question I've never contemplated before. Yeah. I think it would be outer space. Seems like, you know, the next frontier. Final frontier. It is the next frontier. Like You're yeah. right. For some reason, I think there's a broader sort of view yeah. from up there. And all but, the all the sci-fi movies make it seem so appealing. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's so let's dial into yeah. You set up vetted solutions many years ago. So just walk walk us through just kind of your professional career and and you know how vetted solutions kind of came about and tell us all about that. So I started out uh, working for trade associations mm-hmm. and professional societies. On the communications side, on the membership side, eventually got to serve as the CEO of a couple of them. I believe associations have just an incredible impact globally, whether that's local communities or the global community. It's about the people. It's about uh, the professional development that we deliver. uh, And it's about the impact that associations can have. Yeah. So uh, when did when did you kind of get the idea that you were going to form a company like Better Solutions? Uh, so I had no idea executive search, which is the business that I'm in, even existed until yeah. I worked for something called CEO Update. And so that was sort of my first foray into career management, job search, and this exciting world that I now live called executive search. That was 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. Uh, ended up going to work for a firm 
uh, that did great work. And then about 10 years ago, decided it was time to launch a new firm. Yeah. You've done a great job ever since. What, what is the most exciting aspect of kind of a regular client engagement? They're also different and yeah. that's a part of the fun. And I think the other piece is in the morning I can be helping an organization look for a CEO in the afternoon. I could be helping them find that of government affairs or communications, same skill set for me, just different client, different role, and it allows it to stay fresh and interesting. But overall, uh, executive search, helping organizations find the right talent, benchmarking that talent and bringing everybody together is really the fun of it. Yeah. Professional matchmaking, right? Exactly. You know? Who doesn't want to be, you know, the match.com of the association industry? If only I had thought of that. Wow. <laughs> and there may be some trademark issues there, but so when it comes to um, leadership and, and certainly specific in the association space, what are some maybe trends or changes that you've noticed over the last 10 years just in kind of a, a, a general sense or maybe even a specific sense in the C-suite? Are there, are there certain things that, that you know, maybe weren't wanted or desired that are now part of maybe a CEO resume or a CFO resume that uh, didn't exist 10 years ago? I think boards for the most part today want CEOs who are truly entrepreneurial. Okay. I think for a period of time, those in the corporate sector didn't necessarily think of associations as businesses, which they are, and didn't think about all the complexity that goes with that. Today, we talk so much about no money, no mission. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and the CEOs who have the track record in driving the revenue that support the programs, products, and services are those that are most sought after. But that continues through almost any level of the C-suite, to your point. I think the other piece they look for are individuals who understand how to tell a story, whether that's the story of the association, whether that's around a key issue, or perhaps even a key project or research program. Um, that's probably the second most sought after skill. And then leadership uh, has always been up there and is even more valued today than ever before. So especially the last two things that you just mentioned, those seem harder to quantify. And, and so, you know, if you're, if those are two, you know, major concerns that a client might have, how do you go about figuring out somebody's capacity uh, for storytelling, leadership, et cetera? Because I'm, I'm sure, you know, there are certain things that are on a resume that just don't tell the whole story or, or maybe don't even really scratch the surface at all. So what is that like? How do, how do you find somebody and then turn around and say, yeah, I think this person really has that potential or that capacity? Well, I do think it starts with how they write the resume, Okay. right? So is it action oriented? Does it tell the story or does it just list the facts? There's nothing wrong with listing the facts, particularly if there's a significant track record of accomplishment. But if you find a way to not only with the written word, but graphically design that resume to tell a story of not only what you've done, but really who you are and the impact you have. I think those resumes sort of rise to the top mm. in the search. And then in the interview, whether that's a telephone interview or an in-person interview, uh, if you continue to tell that story in a compelling way, not just from the words you use, but how you deliver your message, the story, uh, how you engage your audience, the search committee or the hiring exec, th some of it is just the intangible way of 
how you answer questions. Sure. Do we answer them up here? Do I answer them down here at a very tactical level? And as the employer, what's the story I'm looking for? Yeah. And maybe even which type of a skill set might be more advantageous depending on the job, right? From a leadership standpoint, what do you see, uh, you know, and, and again, leadership seems so broad. What are some of the common traits or elements that seem to be thematic as somebody's demonstrating leadership capacity and potential? Sometimes it's as simple as have they managed a team and a budget? Okay. But not everybody has. Uh, then beyond that, how have they managed that team or that budget? Are they an inspirational leader? Do they tell stories around how they've inspired, motivated, developed, or even transition to staff, right? At times, you can only take an individual on your team so far. So do you have the capacity to help them then find what comes next for them professionally? Sure. Some of the strongest leaders are those who are truly comfortable saying, you have done as much as you can for us, as much as it pains me for you to leave the organization and let me help you find your next spot. That to me is a spectacular leader. Somebody who truly is as invested and everyone else's success as they are in their own. Yeah. Who doesn't want to work for that type of person? Exactly. Yeah. Across the association landscape, as you see kind of um, technical competencies changing, so maybe uh, in the form of like the, the, the traditional job description, um, so we, we talked to uh, Jeff Morgan, I know an ASA fellow in front of yours earlier, and he was mentioning how there may now be changes in, in, you know, what would have been conventional job descriptions just based on the fact that we've experienced a lot of change, growth, technology. What are some of those types of changes? Are, have you noticed something that, you know, really stands out that, you know, let's say a CFO used to be these five things, maybe now they're seven. What does that look like? Or, or is it just people maybe specialize more and so there are new positions? Well, there probably are some new positions, certainly in the world of communications. We talk a lot more about digital today okay. than we yeah. did even a year ago. Uh, regardless of the role, the understanding of technology. You don't necessarily need to be able to use it, but you truly need to understand how to harness it, utilize it on behalf of the organization. Yeah. What I would say is, just using your CFO example, I think in the past boards wanted a CFO who gave them comfort that the numbers were all in good shape and heading in the right direction. Today, they actually want that CFO to tell those, the story of those numbers in a different way. Help us understand how we got there, make the story compelling, or at least very truthful if it's challenging, help us understand why it is and what decisions we have to make. So almost more of a consultative role. Here are the numbers. Here's what the opportunity or challenge is. Let's have that conversation and solve whatever we have to together. On the CEO side, I think uh, it is still being a charismatic leader. It is, however, bringing very entrepreneurial solutions. I know I keep using that word to the table. Uh, the same old, same old doesn't get it. I think we're seeing uh, more opportunities for associations to merge with one another. Yeah. It's a skill set that not everybody has. We're seeing associations buying trade shows from for-profit companies buying research companies, mm -hmm. uh, other entities. That's a different skill set than we would have looked for or seen three to five years ago. Uh, and then a very different set, I think, of financial forecasting and financial modeling as association business models change. Yeah. 
And that certainly, I, I imagine, does have set certain CEOs apart, that those have better capacity and more business savvy sense than maybe others do. As you, as you look at beyond even maybe just the association community as an industry, but you know, having been in the Washington, D.C., highly competitive marketplace for you know, a, a decade plus now, what is what has changed in the landscape of just talent development? I mean, are there things that um, are new uh, or maybe just things that have grown? I mean, it's very hard to be in any industry and find really good talent, especially in an area like Washington, D.C. So have you seen any trends that have surprised you or maybe just, you know, things that that have evolved in the few, last few years, last 10 years? I think the savviest employers today are those that actually invest in a lot of professional development as a way to build up their staff, to give them the tools to be successful on their behalf. I know some folks then worry about we're going to train them up and then lose them. The reality is at the end of the day, the savviest employers, those with the strongest employer brand, are known for their ability and their investment in developing their teams. Sure. Uh, similarly, though, if a candidate is going to present himself or herself, they really do need to demonstrate how they understand the totality of the world and the environment today, the skill sets that are needed, and that they themselves have an interest in learning those. I also think it's up to the candidate to truly uh, differentiate themselves because uh, there is a war for talent. There's not as much talent as organizations want because it's a tight job market. Yeah. Uh, and so candidates need to stand out if they really want to be the one who is selected. So can, let's expand on that a little bit because you do help coach, uh, you know, candidates that you're working with. What are some, are there some fairly uniform things that you go through in, in, a, in a coaching engagement that you want to try to equip a candidate with or... Um, you know, to, to stand out or to make sure that they, they feel as confident and also can be as polished as possible when they present their, their skill sets to potential employers? Well, I think uh, when an individual sees a job they're interested in or hears about one, uh, don't immediately respond. Take the time to do the research to see if it really is an organization you're interested in and a fit with. So that's everything from who they are and what they do to what the organization culture is like. I always say, uh, then write the cover letter. If you can't convince yourself when you write the cover letter that you should be hired, like you that. really should think about whether or not you should go after the job. But if you're going to have a compelling cover letter, whether one is required or not, and have a compelling resume, not just tailored, but as I said before, that tells your story, not just with the words, but in terms of how it's designed. Make it compelling. Make that employer want to reach out to you. And then differentiate yourself at every stage of the interview process. So uh, follow up with an email or a written thank you note. Only about 25% of candidates actually do that. Wow. Therefore, it's actually noticed when you do because so few people actually do that. And don't make it a simple thank you, although that's better than nothing. Make it compelling fill in a gap from an answer you weren't uh, as happy with, or maybe you've come up with something else that you wanted to share that you didn't weave that into the thank you note. It's the opportunity to, again, tell your story a little bit differently, a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, I just came from uh, a client's office where they were doing interviews, and one of the candidates showed up with a presentation. 
So the assignment was around here, deliver a conversation on this topic. And only one of the candidates came in with this very well thought out, very beautifully graphically designed in the colors of the association, their answer to the assignment. So it was a beautiful piece to use in the interview. It was a terrific leave behind. And wow. it sort of showed the level of homework that they had put into this, how much they thought about it. And quite frankly, it was interpreted as how much they really wanted the job. Wow. Yeah, that, I mean, that would stand out above all others. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe that's, uh, you know, a thematic point in terms of how somebody that's seeking a job wants to approach it, you know, doing not just as much homework as you can about the opportunity, but also maybe coming in with an understanding of certain pain points or, uh, and if you maybe don't know those, being confident enough to ask uh, in the interview, you know, where are you struggling? What are the issues that you're facing as an organization? And having that become a collaborative dialogue, because I imagine that's something that um, an employer would be, you know, would stand out, not just telling somebody why you're great, but taking an interest in really trying to solve the organization's problem. Do you see that as being some of the approaches that are helpful? Yeah, I don't think you can have a generic interview any longer. Right. Right. So uh, I know that when we meet with a prospective client, if I haven't really done enough analysis of who they are, as you say, what, if any, pain points they have and where there's an opportunity, why this might be a compelling opportunity for someone, we don't usually walk away with the search. Same with candidates. You need to understand the organization well enough for the client to say, yes, he or she really wanted to be here. They're the type of individual we wanted because they went above and beyond what we would have expected. And they shared that in a meaningful way. There are some candidates who over-research and overshare that they've done that research where you can cross the line pretty quickly to say, did he or she really do the research? Or is this a borderline behavior that maybe we don't really want? Mm, that's, that's So there is a fine line. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, can, I can appreciate how it's important to walk that the right way, for sure. Have you had some experiences when you're dealing with an organization that's experienced an unplanned transition, meaning something's happened that uh, was unfortunate to a C-suite person? And if so, what was that like? What, what type of experience can that be when it's, you know, kind of handed to you unexpectedly. Well, I think in a situation like that, even before the search starts, and certainly through the early stage of the search, if not throughout, um, probably as much focus on healing as there is on what are we looking for in a candidate and how do we get there. Hmm, that's a great point. If the organization doesn't spend enough time upfront healing or figuring out how to get there, uh, it's going to come up throughout the process, and especially when we're at the interview stage. So let's say an organization has decided to separate from their CEO or any other position, and some of that may have been based on their personality or the strength of their behavior uh, or any number of uh, sort of soft skills like that. What we've seen, if the organization really hasn't come to closure on that individual, is a great candidate interviews and they say, oh, she's just like the individual who just left us. Hmm. We can't possibly go down that path, even if everything else is right. And so that healing piece, if it's an unplanned transition, for whatever reason, I think is critically important. 
how do you, that's, that's such a great uh, perspective, but how, are there some practical things that you would do to help in that process? Or is it something that just kind of needs to happen organically? What does that look like? Sometimes, depending on what the transition was, it does have to happen organically. Okay. Sometimes, if there's a little bit more uh, of a luxury of time, or if the event was so significant, we'd probably say, why don't we put an interim exec in this role for a period of time? A, so that you get used to another personality, and B, so you can work through what it's like to relate to excuse me, any other human being before you actually hire somebody mm. else into the role on a regular basis. It's good for the organization. It's good for the team. It'll be very good for whoever you bring in and I think increases their chances of success. Other times it might just be doing the search a little more slowly than we'd all like just so that we can have, again, as many conversations around healing, uh, around what are the right soft skills in addition to the technical and experiential skills. Uh, and then maybe even testing some candidates or candidate types early in the process to make sure everything really is okay, that we're really ready to engage with individuals for a particular role. Yeah, it sounds very sensible, but certainly difficult, especially when it's unexpected and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's inherently urgent, you know, and it, when did you need it? Yesterday, right? Yeah, that's tough. And, and also kind of thematically, because we've had... Uh, several conversations, and I know this is, you know, frequently a hot topic in not just the association community, but in a lot of industries, the, the conversation about succession and succession planning and, you know, being an organization that's thoughtful and mindful enough to have a, a framework so that way there's an element of continuity that would help them whether the, you know, the transition was planned or not. Now, do you see that... Um, I guess it's a two-part question. Do you see a lot of organizations that have successfully done, you know, sufficient succession planning? And uh, if so, in experiences of transition, do you notice that the planning really does make that an easier experience? But what does that, what does that look like? Because I'm sure you've seen probably, you know, both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I, I would say not enough organizations yet have a solid succession plan in place. And in my mind, that's not just for the CEO. It really should be for every position in the organization. It's a great uh, point. It's especially important for small organizations because if you lose one key member of a small team, that has a very significant impact. Uh, but then if it's a larger organization, again, you might more easily be able to find an interim exec if it's a larger organization. Mm -hmm. But I think the succession plan also needs to go down to what are the different circumstances? So let's suppose we lose a CEO because he or she gets recruited away. That's a little easier to deal with. What happens if we lose uh, a C-suite executive for something harmful to their reputation, therefore potentially the association's reputation? Mm. Well, it's not now just about temporarily filling the role and then more regularly filling the role. It's also around how do we help deal with the damage that's happened as a result of that transition? not just for the good of the staff and those that you serve, but also from the employer brand perspective, how are we going to attract somebody to this role for this organization at this time? Yeah, it's so, almost a PR conversation exactly. in a manner of speaking. Yeah. Exactly. But I'll say it again, succession plans for every position in the organization, review them every year and add to them. Uh, and that should, plan should go so far as 
do we have internal either interim uh, execs for that role or internal candidates to regularly step into the role? And if not, who would we want to look at on the outside, whether that's particular organizations you'd like to recruit talent from or particular individuals you happen to know elsewhere? Yeah, that's, I mean, those are some very tangible examples of, of some of the details that I, I, in some of the things that we've seen often get missed. It's, you know, I think there are times when we've seen succession planning almost just revolve around a job description. And while that's certainly better than not having a job description, it's, it's certainly a lot more about, well, you know, who may take on what responsibility? Is this a division of labor scenario or is this going to be one person? And oh, by the way, do the internal candidates know that they're, <laughs> you know, the next in line to make those decisions? Um, I mean, there's there's seemingly a lot that would go into it. Um, have you ever been through one where you would say, oh, wow, that succession plan was a, was a you know, roaring success or was really helpful? Have you ever had that kind of an experience? I mean, so the good news is there are a number of associations that have invested the time and the energy and live it and review it every year. Maybe not live it every year, but review it every year. And it does make a big difference when you need to roll it out. So maybe a CEO gets sick and that's a surprise to everybody. And now we've got the sadness around that event uh, along with the concern of how are we going to run the organization in the interim and whether it's political constituents, whether it's members, whether it's funders, a piece of that needs to be the messaging around that. Yeah. Uh, similarly, if it's the unplanned transition that we've talked about a couple of times, again, messaging around business will continue as usual. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to deliver on your behalf. And here's the timeline or the um, plan for uh, the search. Because giving some clarity around, okay, it'll take us six months to find a new exec at the outset is great because it gives folks something to sort of focus on. Yeah. And managing expectations. It exactly. lets people know that there is a plan and you're, you know, you're exactly. letting them know that you're going to follow through. That's really key. And I imagine that's something that people forget to do sometimes um, as prepared as people can be. When you, when it comes to kind of preparing for uh, a search on the corporate side, are there trends that you've seen in compensation benefits or really maybe even intangibles uh, that, you know, organizations are starting to do to really try to, you know, set themselves apart? Because we already mentioned, while it's important for a candidate to stand out, it, it's almost the same side of, uh, you know, different side of the same coin for an organization to try to stand out and distinguish themselves as well. So what does that look like for you? What kind of things have you noticed that are either, you know, trends or just you know, elements that, that people should be aware of, especially if they're going to be in that position and needing to stand out themselves. So I think it starts with every employer needs a strong employer brand and not all have that. But candidates are going to want to know who you are, not just what you do, but what you stand for. And that's as much around how you treat your staff to what your benefits offerings are to uh, how flexible an organization you are. Mm -hmm. Not every organization be, can be completely flexible, but what candidates want today is first and foremost, a great job. And that's how the role is defined, but also how they get to execute that role. They wanna do that inside of um, organizations with a very strong, positive 
uh, I would say at times, inspirational culture. And the elements that get to some of that are, again, leadership and their philosophy, but uh, benefits. Do I have a flexible work schedule? Can I work from home? Or quite frankly, do we have a virtual work environment? Uh, is there enough flexibility in the benefits? You might worry more about life insurance than I do. So if I'm less concerned about life insurance, what else might I be worried about? Maybe I'm more concerned about long-term disability. So how flexible can an organization hmm. be in meeting a candidate where he or she wants or needs to be from a benefits, not just a compensation perspective? I think all organizations with a strong employer brand are also ones that have not just that culture piece that I talked about, but a strong performance evaluation system. Hmm. So help me understand how to be successful. Let's re have regular conversations about how I'm doing. And if I'm measuring up, great. I want to hear that. If I'm not, let's talk about why. And then if I'm not living up to expectations, let's not only document that, but let's work together on a plan on how I can get there to meet and exceed expectations. So I think, again, organizations where they've got a strong, let's help you be successful, but let's have the conversation along the way are those that are um, most interesting to new talent. Yeah. And uh, Cameron Harold, uh, who's the CFO whisperer, who I've, I've paid attention to read some of his books, he has a saying where he says that, uh, you know, you hire to culture, you train to technical competency. Do you find that to be true? And, and how does that, have you, how have you seen that play out for those organizations, like you mentioned, that have that strong brand? Most organizations want someone who has the ability to do the job. If you can find, if you can find somebody who has the intellectual ability to do the job and who's done it, that's great. But if you've got someone who's truly terrific in every way, can help you understand how they're going to approach this, but maybe hasn't, they may be as valuable or more valuable, particularly if they're a really strong cultural fit. Because in the tough times, they'll help ensure the culture stays strong and can still do their job. You know, one of the things I'm mindful of that we haven't talked a lot about is how inclusive the environment, the organization and its yeah, culture is. Such a and great point. I think that's critical. So candidates uh, want to know they're going to be comfortable and welcome in the organization. And that's everything from what does the organization stand for? How does it do business? And with whom does do they do business? But candidates are looking for organizations that are very inclusive these days. Well, and I, I think that that's a great point to build on. And certainly, you know, in the association community, diversity, inclusion, equity, and, and creating that type of a working environment is critical. Are you seeing kind of a, you know, a groundswell of organizations that are trying to embrace that and, and work through the challenges that they may then find as a result of trying to grow in that area? What is, what have you seen? Um, and, or is there, is there a trend that maybe is concerning that we should also be aware of? No, I think the good news is, again, the most savvy employers truly understand the importance of this. Uh, and if they truly have a, an inspirational leader, they just get that as the essence of who they are. Yeah. And that's the organization they want to create. In certain industries, associations included, there may not be as much of a diverse talent pipeline in that area of expertise. Mm -hmm. So again, it goes back to my uh, point just a moment ago about do they have the intellectual ability? Do they have the ability and the willingness to learn and to be successful? And if that right attitude is there and you believe the aptitude or the ability is there, 
that may be your answer in ensuring a truly inclusive workforce hmm. early on. Yeah. Are you um, seeing that there's also possible needs for that uh, diversity and inclusion and, and equity approach to, to transition into like the board and even maybe the, the volunteer dynamic as well, especially in membership organizations where that's, those are necessary components of the organization structure. And what, do you, what are you seeing in, in those areas? Well, I think, a true, I think most folks measure a truly inclusive association in this instance uh, as the board of directors truly represents the profession or the industry that they serve. The staff at all levels do as well. But it's also who are the business partners, the vendors, and uh, how inclusive is that community? And then when you put together content, particularly at live events and conferences, how inclusive, how diverse is the speaker set uh, and the content and the way that content is delivered? Are we delivering it in a way that everybody can participate? Yeah. And I mean, that's certainly a challenging question that hopefully everybody is looking at and asking and then asking again. There was another point, interestingly, that Jeff Morgan made as well about in, in this area, the, the diversity of tenure. And I found that to be a fascinating point. And he essentially framed it as, you know, if I'm coming in as, a, as an executive to an organization and let's say the majority of staff have been there for a long period of time, that that may not be healthy uh, because it means you don't have new ideas and new blood and, and you know, you may have some inherent barriers. Have you seen that to be true? And, and kind of, you know, is that something organizationally that you think is important to kind of be aware of? I think we've got to sort of just look at every experience uniquely. Sure. Yeah. I can think of some organizations where they've had staff, all of their senior staff, for more than 10 years, 20 and 30 years. And yet they are some of the most entrepreneurial individuals. So if the organization has retained staff but continually challenged them, developed them, and they're individuals who they themselves uh, embody and embrace that, then I think it's a great thing if you've got a very long tenured staff. That's a fortunate scenario, uh, for sure. Exactly, because you yeah. could say we've got a stable workforce, they're committed to our work, and they've helped us grow to increase our impact. On the other hand, if it's uh, we've got a very long-serving staff, they and we haven't invested in them, we're not on the cutting edge of delivery, let alone decision-making, uh, that can be a challenging mm. situation. And... We've certainly seen plenty of CEO searches where the board wants a new CEO to come in and bring about great change until they actually do. And then <laughs> staff point. are upset, board are upset because it's all too fast. Uh, so there needs to be a lot of conversation around if we want to transform an organization or its culture or both, what's the right pace of change? And is that if you're being solicited by an organization, is that part of your conversation in terms of maybe helping them create that type of an atmosphere or at least an appetite for change and from an expectation standpoint is that something that you try to see maybe where they are in their acceptance of change i think it's important for us to understand uh how much if any change they want and what that really means and to truly understand what that is for them and then to be able to relate that to candidates so candidates can select in or out of that interview mm -hmm. process. But then when the search committee or the hiring exec is doing the interviewing, 
to ensure that conversation allows for a very open discussion around change. If an exec says, I've heard you want change, and I think we're going to change, transform everything in the first 12 months, well, then the hiring exec or the board should be able to say, oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. And if both parties walk away as a part of that conversation, that's great. Better to happen there than six to 12 months into someone's tenure where too much or not enough change could be too disruptive to the organization. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, that, that word change can be defined a lot of different ways. And probably sometimes maybe the organization doesn't even know what it, you know, what it is and does need to figure that out in terms of what their appetite looks like, whether it's personnel, whether it's organizational direction, whether it's new sources of revenue, untapped markets, all of that. That's, you know, it's important to know what to expect and what you really want um, for, for synergy's sake. So um, you've been in the ASA community a long time and are, uh, you know, a, a fellow. Uh, what's, what's been your favorite part of being within ASA and, and connecting and growing in such a, such a dynamic and fun organization? It is a fun organization. Uh, I've been a part of it for, I guess, about 30 years now. Uh, so it's helped. Join when you're about six. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it affords an incredible opportunity to build a network of either just fun, great people who do what you do or inspirational and educational others that you can reach to when you have a need. I think it gets a lot right around its diversity executive leadership program and certainly other content that they deliver, uh, which is terrific. But I think everyone in the association community should certainly look at getting their certified association executive designation, should certainly be involved in ASAE in some way, shape, or form, whether that's writing an article, serving on a committee, or attending conferences and ensuring terrific conversation at those conferences. All of the above, but I think it's important if this is the community that you've chosen for your profession. Yeah, and it is. It is a wonderful community. I it mean, is. You, you know, as, for as big as it is, that you certainly find that it feels very small and you do get some great relational equity that gets formed. And I mean, you know, even, even within the fellows, I know, uh, yeah, my dad comes back from those retreats and those are, those are, you know, one of the most significant highlights each year for him. But that's only because he's beaten all of us on the tennis court. That's and so he feels good about that. That, that is true. And, and yeah, he, he's got to hang his hat somewhere. So since he can't, he can't beat my brother and I in basketball or other sports. So, He's got to take it out on somebody, Jim. There you go. (laughs) Well, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate your time and uh, all of the great wisdom that you shared. Are there any final shout outs you'd like to make? Anybody you want to recognize? Any? Well, yeah, first of all, thank you for the chance to be with you today. This has been fun. I guess the shout out would be to my team who gives me the opportunity to actually do things like this. They're amazing and they're great. And I'm grateful for them every day. Fantastic. Now, how should somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to contact you? Uh, probably our website, vettedsolutions.com. And all of our telephone numbers, including my cell phone and my email, are there. So it's the easiest way to find any member of our team and to see what get a sense of what we're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Thank really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, You can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company.
The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.